Good morning. I hope you are having a good Advent season so far. So as we turn our focus to Jesus in this uh, Advent series, we're asking what sounds like maybe a, a weird question, how is Jesus like a lion? And the reason we're asking that is because Lion of Judah is one of the titles Jesus has in the Bible. Why is he called that? Well, one of the things we've discovered is he's called that because like a lion, Jesus is strong. And he is stronger than anything you will ever face, anything that would oppose you, any person that would oppose you. He is stronger. Another thing, like a lion, Jesus is not safe. He's good, he's good, but he's not safe. He's not a tame lion. Uh, he's not a pet. Well, the truth we want to explore today, I want to start by looking at the place in the Bible where this idea of Lion of Judah first appears. And that's in the book of Genesis, chapter 49. Let me give you just a little background before we read the passage. You may know Genesis is the book of beginnings very first book in the Bible, and it, it tells us not only of uh, God creating the universe and everything in it, including us, including humanity made in His image, it also tells us about God creating a particular family through whom He is going to work out His plan to rescue humanity from the miserable situation we have created for ourselves by rebelling against him. And so God chooses this man named Abraham, and God makes an amazing promise to him that Abraham is going to have many descendants, and that God is going to bless all of the peoples of the earth through Abraham's descendants. And really, the rest of the Bible is showing us God working out, fulfilling that promise, ultimately in the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant, the seed of Abraham. There's a lot to that story, but getting back to Abraham for a minute, um, Abraham ends up having a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob, who gets renamed Israel, ends up having 12 sons. And these 12 sons become the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. You may have heard of that. Okay, well, in Genesis 49, Jacob, Israel, speaks some amazing words to his 12 sons. And these words foreshadow or prophesy about each of the sons and their descendants. And we're going to look at what he says to one of those sons who's named Judah. So Genesis, or yeah, Genesis 49, verses 9 and 10. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? 
The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. So, Judah and his descendants are compared to a lion, and you can see here, a lion who's not safe, and a lion who is strong, you know, returning from the prey successfully, uh, you don't dare rouse him. So, strong, not safe, but there's something else here. There's something here about a scepter not departing from Judah until someone comes to whom the scepter belongs. Well, what is this? Well, a scepter, as, as it says in the following line, is a ruler's staff. The staff of a king. So this is telling us that Judah is going to be the tribe of royalty. It is from Judah that the king is going to come. Who's that? Well, as you follow the story and watch it unfold, in the short term, it's talking about King David, who would come from the line of Judah. But as the story continues to unfold, the Bible makes it clear that one day, a descendant of David would come, who would be even far greater. One whose kingdom would never end. The prophet Isaiah, who lived about 250 years after David, said this, and you've probably heard these words, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that's the ruler whose birthday we celebrate at Christmas. Luke chapter 1. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus was born to rule. He was born to rule. That is the ultimate reason why he is called Lion of Judah. He was born to rule over his people. He was born to rule over all nations. He was born to rule ultimately over the very universe. He was born to rule over you. He was born to rule over me. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. There are a lot of implications to this, but I'm going to focus just on two. Because Jesus was born to rule, 
He is the one to trust to make things right. He is the one to trust to make things right. I titled this message, The End of Politics. I thought that might sound like a good thing to some of us. (laughs) Did I guess right? I think most people get pretty tired of politics, especially, you know, now we're in the middle of another election cycle. It gets old. But I want you to think about it for a minute. Would we really want to trade in our political system with all of its flaws for something else, for another kind of government? I think most people think or believe that democracy is a good thing, because we like the idea of choosing our rulers, our leaders. Uh, It seems like the only people who don't like democracy are tyrants, you know, who see freedom as a threat to their power, their control. You know, how many of us would choose to live in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, for example? You know, even Great Britain, which is technically a monarchy, it's really not a kingdom in the sense of an absolute ruler, you know, I mean, because you've got parliament and people elect their members of parliament and they're the ones really with the power. So really, democracy, is that a more civilized, more advanced way, uh, a form of government than, than, you know, having a ruler? We need to really think about this carefully because Jesus was not born to run for office. He's not going to be elected king if he gets enough votes. He was born to be king of our lives and ultimately of the whole world. Now, is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? Because, you know, is our democracy more advanced than that? Well, here's here's the reality. The only reason democracy is better than kingship now is because the only kings available to us now are limited and sinful. So you want to be careful how you think about democracy. You know, some people say, well, democracy is only fair because people are basically good. They know what's best for their own lives. And everybody deserves a share in running the government. C.S. Lewis said something pretty interesting about that. He said, the danger of defending democracy on those grounds is that they're not true. (laughs) He said, I love this, I find that they're not true without looking any further than myself. I don't deserve a share in governing a hen's roost chicken coop, much less a nation. The real reason for democracy, he says, is that mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows. Do you know why our nation's founders chose the form of government they did? Do you know why our Constitution intentionally spreads out power between the states and the three different branches of the federal government. You know why? It's to keep anyone from having too much power. 
Because, as the saying goes, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So this government we have of the people, by the people, for the people, the purpose of that is to seek to limit the power any one leader has in order to limit the damage he can do. Now, you probably won't hear a politician run on that platform. I doubt you'll hear anybody say, no, please, don't give me too much power because I couldn't handle it. Uh, You can't trust me with it. Probably won't hear that, but that's really the truth. So democracy probably is the best system to protect our liberties in this present fallen age. But it's not ideal. It's not ideal. For one thing, when you limit the power that leaders have in order to limit the damage they can do, you also limit the good they can do. And people get very frustrated with it. And so they're very tempted to, well, let's give them more power. Let's give them more power. Careful. Careful. But without enough power, well, they can't fix everything. And if you want everything fixed, it can be frustrating. But they can't fix everything, not only because they're not wise enough, but because they don't have enough power. You know, we have this habit in our country. We tend to praise presidents for everything good that happens, and we tend to blame them for everything bad that happens. It's not that simple. You can't give them that much credit. What would be ideal? What would be ideal would be a leader who is perfectly good. What would be ideal would be a leader who always wants what's best. A leader who always knows what's best. And a leader who always has the power to bring about what's best. That's the leader Jesus was born to be. He was born to be the one who will make all things right. Beware of putting anyone in his place, because they're not him. There are some key words in this Luke passage that teach this. Verse 35 says, he is holy. He's holy. You know what that means? That means he's set apart from all the usual human flaws. He's not like other leaders. He never has a selfish motive in any of his decisions. Hebrews 7.26 says that Jesus, our great high priest, meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Do you ever wonder if your elected officials ever think maybe about too much about what's good for them and not enough about what's good for the rest of us? Jesus never does that. If you belong to him, if he is your king, he's always thinking about what is best for you. Always. Another key word is in verse 32, the word great. That does not mean really, really good. I mean, we use it that way all the time, but that's really not what this word means, great. This word means great. This means powerful. This means mighty. This means superior. This means way beyond the ordinary. And what that means for us in practical terms 
is that whatever it takes in your life to bring about your ultimate eternal happiness, Jesus can bring it about. He can bring about everything that needs to happen for your eternal happiness. And then verse 34. His kingdom will never end. Now that is a wonderful thing to know if he's your king. His kingdom will never end. But this kind of creates you know, some tension in our minds because it's pretty obvious that he is not the king of all people in the sense that not all people acknowledge him, not all people trust him, not all people obey him. And, you know, frankly, even those of us who do acknowledge him as king, we, we fail to obey him perfectly. So we're told that his kingdom will never end, but maybe for us the bigger question, what we're really wondering is, when will his kingdom truly begin? When? Will he make all things right? When will the obedience of the nations be his, as it says in Genesis 49? When, as Isaiah prophesied, will he rule as prince of peace over this world on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time forth and forever? When? Or to ask it another way, if Jesus was born to rule, why does he tolerate so much rebellion against his rule? He has his reasons. And one of the biggest reasons brings us to the second implication that Jesus was born to rule. He's the one to trust not only to make things right, he's the one to trust to make you right. He's the one to trust to make you right. Everybody wants the world to be made right. But not everybody realizes what it'll take to do that. Everybody wants evil to be eliminated. But as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Why is the world the way it is? Well, the world is the way it is because we are the way we are. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've all rebelled. We've all taken up the scepter and said, It's mine. I get to rule my own life. I get to make decisions. Yeah, you talk about democracy, baby. I'm in charge. We've all rebelled, and the king would be perfectly justified 
in bringing that rebellion to an end this very moment and condemning every single one of us for rebelling against his righteous authority. That's not the message we celebrate at Christmas, though. Yeah, the king's coming to judge. That's not our message. The message of Jesus is good news. And the good news is this. Before the king lets his justice fall on this world, and he will, but before he does that, the king offers us mercy. Mercy. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so the king is giving all of us rebels the opportunity to lay down our arms, renounce our rebellion, and receive his pardon before it's too late because justice will fall. He will make all things right. He will come in justice. But before it's too late, he offers us this pardon that he purchased with his own blood. Jesus took our judgment Jesus took our judgment upon himself so that he could offer us grace. That's the good news of Christmas. And we see this in verse 31. It's all wrapped up in the name Jesus. Jesus. Now don't, don't hurry over that because it's familiar. Yeah, his name's Jesus. Yeah, we get it. No. See, God chose that particular name for his son for a very powerful reason. Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua, or Joshua, and that name means Yah, Yahweh, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God, Yahweh saves, rescues, delivers. That's his name. Yahweh saves. Matthew one twenty one. Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What an awesome king we have. He's not some distant, untouchable king who can't be bothered with your puny little problems. He is a king who saves. He is a king who rescues. He is a king who delivers. He is the one and only one who can solve your biggest problem. And I don't know what you think your biggest problem is today, but if you've never owned Jesus as your king, I know what your biggest problem is. According to the word of God, it's your separation from God because of your sin. That's my biggest Sin is our biggest problem. And Jesus is the only one who can solve your biggest problem and make you right with God forever. Make you right. If you didn't come into this place right with God, you can walk out of this place right with God. And you can know it, 
And you can be convinced of it, and you can celebrate Christmas in a whole new way. Jesus, see, this is, this is awesome. Jesus didn't come to rule over, you know, the righteous people. He didn't come to rule over to be king of the perfect. He didn't come to be king of everybody who's got it all together. You know why? Because there isn't anybody like that. There's not one person on the planet like that. He came to rule for the good of sinners, of people like you and me who have disobeyed him and dishonored God in countless ways, who deserve nothing but God's judgment, but instead can have nothing but God's forgiveness and peace and leadership and guidance, all because our king is our savior, Jesus Jesus wasn't only born to rule, he died to rule. He died to rule for the good of anyone who will trust him. It's one of the greatest things about John 3.16, that, that word whoever, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's a great word. Going back to Isaiah 53, I quoted part of it earlier, but look at the rest of it. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So if we will acknowledge Jesus as our king now, if we will receive him as our king now, not only will he rule over our lives for our good, but then we'll be ready. We'll be ready for the day when he comes to rule over everything. When his kingdom fully comes. Because that's what he promised to do. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. When the Son of Man, it's one of his titles, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So when King Jesus returns, and he then puts an end to all evil, and then makes all things right, that will be the end of politics. And I can promise you, nobody's going to sit around and, and have nostalgic feelings about the good old days of democracy. Are you tired of politics as usual? Are you tired of leaders who disappoint you? Well, let's just make it really personal. Are you ready to quit trying to rule your own life? Are you ready to give control to the only one who never makes mistakes, who never fails to know exactly what needs to happen in your life for your eternal joy? The only one who can always make it happen. 
Have you given up your rebellion? Have you received the king's pardon? Because he offers it to you free. Today, there is a free amnesty offered. Amnesty for anyone who will renounce their rebellion and take it. I don't know how long it'll last. That amnesty comes to an end when the king returns or when you die and it's too late to receive it. And that day may be coming much sooner than you think. I was thinking about Rich Hart. He had no idea that within a couple of months he'd be gone. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, but that's probably not going to happen to me. Yeah, it probably won't. But something will sooner or later. Every one of us. So I can't tell you how long the amnesty will last, but I will tell you today would be a great day to receive it. Because we're not just talking about forgiveness of sin, though that's huge. We're talking about becoming related child, children of the King to know Him, to adore Him, to experience His wonderful rule in our lives from this day forth and forever. So if you haven't owned Him as your King, I'm just going to invite you to do that. And if you have, be a good day to thank Him and praise Him and adore Him for being your King. Let's bow together and pray. And if you're here this morning and and, uh, you can just tell that God's Spirit is speaking to you and tugging on your heart and saying, "You've you've got to give up your rebellion. You've got to give up trying to be your own master. You've got to realize Jesus is the one who was born to rule you and he alone can do it well. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you say yes to him today, even as we pray. Just admit you've sinned, admit you deserve his judgment, but he freely and lovingly and graciously offers you forgiveness. He offers you his presence in your very life. He offers you all of his promises to be counted on, to know that they are true for you. Just admit your sin and ask him to do what he came to do, to save sinners, to seek and save the lost, to call us to turn around and follow him. And if today you would make that choice and ask him to give you that pardon, um, then I would love to talk to you about it after the service, celebrate with you, and just encourage you. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing some more songs to celebrate.
King Jesus. So now just in the quietness of this moment, just say to him whatever you want to say to him. Lord Jesus, uh, you are the Lion of Judah. You are strong. You're not tame. And many, many people mistake your mercy for apathy. Many mistake your mercy as tolerance of evil. Lord Jesus, you're going to come again. You're going to make right every wrong. You're going to establish justice. And Lord, we don't want justice done to us. We want mercy. We want grace. And so I pray that for everyone here. I pray that for myself, that you will help us turn to you for mercy and receive that pardon and own you as our king. And Lord, may we celebrate the wonderful truth that you were born to rule. Help us with that. May your spirit lead us and direct us. Accomplish your good work. May we become instruments of your mercy and your justice in this world to do good because we belong to you. Not to try to earn your favor, but because we have it in Jesus. And we want to show his glory to the world. Help us with that, we pray in his name. Amen.